All right, well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to make an assumption. Let's say, and this is a, a re response time, so this isn't rhetorical. Let's just say that I told you that in five months, you're going to receive $5 million. Tax-free, like you can have it, no consequences, no strings attached. Now, show of hands, how many think that today, if you knew that and that was totally trustworthy and it was going to happen and like the, the, the bank account thing happened and everything was in place, how many of you would possibly start making decisions in light of that today? Show of hands. Maybe, right? You'd, you'd make it like, okay, well, if I know I got $5 million coming, like maybe you're not going to go spend a bunch of money, but you might make some other decisions in your life, right? Like you might go, well, okay, if this is coming, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to look at a nicer car and I'm going to dream about what I want. Or maybe we're going to look at a different home. See, we, we all make decisions like that, whether $5 million is coming or not. A lot of us, like the college students here, like they go from no income, although I would argue you have more disposable income now than you ever will in the rest of your life. Enjoy it, right? But you go from no income to essentially knowing that when you got a job, okay, when I graduate next year, I'm starting, or I, I finish my engineering, I'm going to be an engineer, to a bunch of income. So you start making decisions in light of that income that's coming. And hopefully they're wise and, and they're good stewardship decisions, but, but we all make that. Some of you are like, man, I'm finally going to have an income. I can put a ring on it, right? You're like, that's what's going to happen. Like, I can, I can make this thing happen. But we all will continue to make decisions in light of what we know is coming if we're confident it's coming. If you have, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, and the, the ushers will grab one for you. Um, you can look on your smartphone or whatever else. Just I'd love for you to read along with us. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. The book of Ephesians is not meant to be taken verse by verse, bit by bit, kind of by itself, standalone. It is, it is a book that if we, if we lose sight of the big picture, we're going to drastically miss what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate to us. If we, if we take this in just some little snippet of doctrine, we're going to get kind of heavy on this doctrine. We're going to miss the overarching thing, which I've challenged each, each week. This is, a, this is a love letter. The Apostle Paul is, is pleading with the church in Ephesus and the surrounding areas to fall back in love, to remember their first love. Don't forget what is truth, what Christ has done for us, what that means for us. And he's, he's pushing into that. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't, if you haven't listened the last few weeks, I would, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast and get kind of caught up. We don't have enough time to keep rehearsing that over and over again and, and going through it. But it, it really is important to know kind of where it's going. I would also challenge you, and I've been doing this since the beginning, I would challenge you to just keep reading the book of Ephesians. Read it once a week. Just keep going through it. Maybe every day, just keep going through it. Listen to it on your, on your Bible app, in the car while you're driving. Like, just let these words hit you because they are so profound, so big, and so heavy that if we just kind of take them in snippets at a Sunday at a time, I, I really do, I, I, I worry we're going to miss the whole point. So we've been in, in chapter one for a while, and we're, we're actually finishing up chapter one today. Um, well, not really. We're getting close to it. But um, <laughs> we're going to be in verse 7. Uh, if you can remember, he says, in the beloved. So before last week, we talked about the fact that God has chosen us. And the idea that he has chosen us is, should bring us to our knees, in essence, because we aren't worthy of that choosing. And that we didn't do anything to deserve that. We didn't do anything to earn that. All we did is surrender to his will for our life. And so in light of that choosing, in light of that, we, we talked about some of the things that we can take confidence in. And last week, I challenged you guys, please, like, like, raise your hand if you're holy and blameless, and, and you all, like, hesitated. Everyone struggled with that, because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't feel holy and blameless. We look at our life and the, the choices that we're making, and we're like, this isn't, this isn't it. Well, 
We're going to dig further into that because the Apostle Paul doesn't, doesn't let up. He kind of keeps going. And so he, he's speaking about in the beloved. He says in verse, at the end of verse 6, we have all this in, in the beloved, in Jesus Christ. And then verse 7 picks up again, in him. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so there's a number of words, like last week I said, there's a number of big words in this text I feel like we kind of got to understand a little bit to, to weave ourselves through it. But again, Please, please remember, this is, this is one long run-on sentence from verse 3 to here. It's, this is one long sentence. There is no periods in this. This is meant in the Greek language to be this eulogy, this prayer, this, this, this replication or repetition that happens over and over again to draw us to, and ultimately here, the picture of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see this, this weaving its way through there. And so the very first thing that we have in him is what? It's It's redemption. Now, most of us use that word in an interesting way. Like, I, I think, like, you know, if I got, I kind of had a, a sick stomach from a burger I ate one time, I'm going to redeem that place. I'm going to eat that burger again. Like, we, we've, we've minimized redemption down to this, I will fix this, or we lost last year in this game, and so we're going to redeem ourselves this year. But redemption, biblically, has something so much bigger and so much more powerful in it that, it, that it's something that, I, if not defined for us, I think we miss it. See, redemption is, is, is meant to, it's, it's being bought back out of something, out of slavery. And in this context, what, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that, is that we have been bought from the slavery of sin and death. And Ephesians 2 will get there, but it teaches that we are all, we are all, we are all prone and fallen to the sin. It, it's God is, is redeeming us out of this. So the redemption is that we've been bought out of slavery. Now, in the Old Testament, we saw this, and then we also see this theme in the New Testament. Redemption in regards to slavery, it was common. If someone had a debt, it was common to, to buy that debt out, to free them from that. But it wasn't what this redemption is meaning. It's not, it's not a redeeming in the sense of, okay, uh, Uncle Joe made some mistakes, went to prison, so I bought him, I paid his, his bail, and he's out, and now he's a slave to me. That's not necessarily what this means. Most of the time, what would happen in redeeming and redemption, it was always someone that knew the person that was in prison or that needed redemption, the slave. It wasn't just some stranger being like, well, I need someone, I'll just, no, that's a, that's a low, low price on his head, I'll pay for that. No, it was always usually someone that knew that person very well that postured themselves into redemption. We saw that in the Old Testament very much so. And so being bought out, being bought out of slavery is what, what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, essentially, that we have been purchased, we have been paid for, we have been bought out of slavery. And what's unique about this redemption that we have in Christ, in Christ alone, is it's not that we've been, we were a slave to sin and death, and so now Jesus paid us out, and now we're a slave to Jesus. Although the Apostle Paul willingly calls himself a bondservant, which is essentially a slave who has done his time and believes that it is better to be a servant of this family than to be released, so he willingly becomes a part of the family of that slave. 
So yes, in, in some ways we are slave to him, but what's unique about this promise is that when we are paid for, when we are bought, we aren't bought as a slave and then we have a bad slave owner and now we have a good slave owner. We're bought and then brought into the family. He doesn't just, he doesn't just redeem us. He doesn't just bring us out of the slavery of sin and death and put us into a good slavery. He brings us out of the slavery of sin and death and calls us brother, he calls us child. So we've been redeemed at a high, high level. This redemption comes at a cost. And that's what the next statement is, through his blood. It's a, Paul's asserting that believers have been bought with a price. We also see that in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. That's Galatians 3. So essentially what, what we're seeing here in, first, in verse 7 is that the redemption which we have in the beloved has been, has been procured through his blood. It's this, the, the pregnant meaning with this is that it cost Jesus his life. For me to be redeemed, for you to be redeemed, for us to be deemed holy and blameless, it cost the spilling of all of Jesus' blood. See, the debt that we had was so great that no one could pay for it. For you and me to be redeemed from the sin of death and the slavery of that, no one had the resources to actually do it except for Christ. Christ's life was what was needed to pay for you and me to be redeemed. Now, in that redemption, we gain something that's, that's, that's unique. We, we gain the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's what it says there. But trespass is just another way to say sins. Now, I'm not going to say show of hands because they keep kind of trapping you guys with this, and I feel like you just are not going to trust me ever again. <clears throat> but my bet is, is that most of us in here, if I asked this question, would raise their hand. If I said, how many of you still feel like at times you cannot beat the sins in your life. My bet is most of us would be like, man, that's me. That's me. But see, in the, in the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ, through his blood being spilled on the cross, the perfect sacrifice for us, he redeems us not only out of freeing us from the death of sin and bondage there, but he also frees us in redeeming us through the forgiveness of all of my sins. All the sins I've done, all the sins I'm doing, and all the sins I'm going to do, I have redemption for. It's been paid for. Now, what's unique about this promise is, and we'll get there at the end of this, but this inheritance idea, what this carries with it then is it means that not only am I forgiven for these sins, but I no longer have to be enslaved or, or, or underneath their power. And that's a unique thing because in all honesty, most of us continue to wrestle with sins and struggles. And my bet is some of you right now, you feel like, like there is no way to beat the addiction in your life. You cannot stop looking at the computer screen. You cannot stop fooling around with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Like you, just, you, just, you just, at this point, you're content at understanding that it is not going to happen. I am just going to be enslaved. As you may not use that word, but I'm going to be under this sin and I'm just going to live my life content, discontent, but content with understanding that I will never, ever beat this sin. And, and my bet is, my assumption is, is that's why none of us feel holy or blameless. Because we keep seeing these sins, these trespasses that are in our lives. And, and what that tells me is that both of us, or all of us, are forgetting two things, two very vital things. One is that those sins have been paid for. 
The sin you did last night, paid for in Christ. The sin you'll do tomorrow, paid for in Christ. Your overwhelming pride that you continue to operate out of, paid for. Your, your, your sinful jealousy, paid for. Your, 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 your web of lies that you keep telling that mean nothing. They're so small and they're so insignificant. Paid for. And not only paid for, but given the means at which to live free from. Given the ability at which to live free from. Let's, let's move on. How, how does this happen? God essentially is reminding us that he's taken the sins upon himself. So we are, we are, those that are in Christ are forever separated from their sins, like Psalms 103 says, from the east to the west. We are, we are, we are separated from them. We have freedom from our sins. According to the riches of his lavished grace that he poured out on us. Now, this word lavish, I love this word because it means more than enough. More than enough. Like in your lives, do you, do you have more than enough of anything? Well, more than enough bills and more than enough like homework and more like you feel like you have more than enough, all those things. But when it comes to God, he's saying that his grace has been poured out on you and it is always more than enough that is necessary for the sin in your life. His grace is always larger. The account of grace is greater than the account of sin, and it's never, ever close. It's not like you're like, whew, I just escaped by that one. Just stuck my way into God's grace there. It's like racing a two-year-old, you know, where they think they're actually winning when you're running, right? I'm going to beat you, God. He's like, okay, (laughs) here you go. More than enough. And he's lavished this on us. And what's so beautiful and unique about this promise and what we have in Christ and this redemption through his blood is that not only does he forgive us of those trespasses, but he gives us the means at which to live free from them. He says, it's been poured out of us and we have all wisdom and insight. All wisdom. The word wisdom emphasizes the understanding of ultimate things like life, death, God, man, righteousness, sin, heaven, hell. Like he's given us all wisdom. The author James James tells us that that pure and undefiled wisdom from above is is void of selfish ambition. Void of of that envy in place. And so we have that wisdom about Christ and truth and what's going on and how how are we supposed to work in this? Not just because we've studied or, or read scholars are the word, but because we have all wisdom gifted to us in Christ. So you and I have not only the wisdom to know what is sin, but I love that he throws this word insight in there. So not only do you have wisdom, but you have insight. This is an emphasis on understanding or comprehension of needs, principles, problems. So he's saying not only do you have the wisdom to know the things of God, but you have the ability to fall through it. Not only does God forgive us taking away the sin that corrupts and distorts our lives, but he also gives us the necessary equipment to understand him and to walk through the world day by day in a way that reflects his glory and his will. So see, he's given us the ability to not only be free from our sins, but now he's saying, I am going to give you the insight on how to walk in that freedom. This is yours. You have this goes on to say that it's, it's making known the mystery of his will where everything is completed in Christ. So we can see this 
This, this can mean a number of different things, the mystery of his will. There's, there's so many different ways it could go. But essentially, where, where I land on this and, and what I think could suffice for an answer so we can move forward is, is that the mystery of what, what does this grace really mean? Like, how did this plan work? We see in 1 Peter that the angels long, they, they peered down at the cross when this was happening. Like, this is the plan. This is the redemption in place. This is what God has been talking about. This is what has been set in motion for so many years to make all things right. And we now can understand the mystery is that we are right, not by our own works, but by what Jesus Christ has done. People that have long before desired to see the Messiah, the Messiah has come, and they now know that he has come, and we can live in light of knowing that, and that everything will resolve, ultimately resolve on Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Judge. Everything centers on Jesus. There's the mystery. There we understand now. So he's revealing us, revealing this to us. And then he, he makes this interesting turn kind of the same subject, but he brings up this, this term that I think most of us really don't think about in life. He says that we have, in, in Christ, we have this inheritance. We have this, we have this inheritance that's ours in Christ. And so the reason why I asked you if you were going to get $5 million in five months, would you make a different decision or would you live differently today in light of that? The, the answer is definitely you would. But see, here's the, the most beautiful thing. He says in an inheritance that we've obtained. So we have this inheritance of God in our life, and yet most of us, if we're honest, our lives aren't marked by that. We continue to give way to sin in our life because we believe the lie that we can't defeat it when it's already been defeated in Christ. We continue to walk in this content with the idea that although God's word tells me I'm to do this, I just don't think I can do it and therefore I'm not going to. That's not living in light of the inheritance we've obtained in Christ Jesus. Part of that inheritance, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, was the all spiritual blessings. Another aspect of that inheritance that we can say and experience today is that we have in him, we have, we are given peace, Love, grace, wisdom, eternal life, joy, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, heaven, eternal riches, glory, and much, much more in Christ. We have obtained that in Christ. It is ours. This is why it's so interesting that most of us struggle with sins. And I, like we will, we'll battle this for our whole life. But where it's difficult to me is when, when God's truth reflects and brings light into that in our lives, and we're like, ah, that's really painful, and we, we shrink back. We hide from it. It's like, oh, God, I, I know you're calling me to do that, but I, I, can't, I can't handle that right now. I'm too busy. I understand this is difficult. This is hard. I can't do it. And so we, we give way to immediate gratification. When it comes to porn, it's immediate gratification. I like what I feel in this moment. I've lost sight of the inheritance that I've already obtained. These relationships, I believe that this will make me happiest doing and operating this way today, even though it's not in view or through the lens of the inheritance I have in Christ. I cannot kick this addiction. And you know what? This addiction brings about satisfaction in that moment, even though it's destroying and tearing me up. I'm going to continue to do it because we're so nearsighted. We're so fixated on ourselves looking for the next best, best selfie. 
that we forget that we have already obtained in him an inheritance that is far beyond anything that we could ever desire or want in this world. Just as a, a sec- secondary kind of like pause rabbit trail for a second here. One of the issues with, with yours and my sins is that we believe that we can handle them on our own. We believe the lie that, that if, I, if, I, if I allow my spouse to hear this about me, it'll ruin everything. If I allow the people in my, in my community or my gospel community to, to actually see this vulnerable side of me, they're not going to accept me. And so we, we hold in and we shore up. And in the book of Ephesians, we'll get there a while from now, but it's very clear, the Apostle Paul tells me that my faith is, is, is contingent, is, is, is writing and working in some unbelievable way with the brothers and sisters in the faith with me. There is no lone ranger. I got this by myself. In fact, let me just say this, that, that sin that you keep walking around like a pet lion that's just waiting to bite you, you're trying to train it how to sit and teach it new tricks, how's that like doing it yourself working out? How many, how many years, how many months do you keep saying, I won't, I won't, I won't, and you never ever call to light that darkness? See, by doing that, what you're saying is you believe the enemy that Christ hasn't paid for it. That even though there may be consequences or struggles or trials because of that choice, it has been paid for incomplete. Not a penny left. You have it all. We have an inheritance. We've been given everything. And then the Apostle Paul goes on in here and he talks about, he does something kind of unique. It's worth pointing out. I think it's valuable for us to hear. The beginning of this book, and again, we talked at the very beginning that, that Paul was named Saul. He was a Jewish man. I, I kind of laid out the idea that I believe he was going by the Apostle Paul because he was, he was, he was inclined to help himself be present for the Gentiles and the Greeks and, the, and, and not just the Jews in that time. And at the beginning of this book, the Apostle Paul says he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. So he's not emphasizing Jew or Gentile or anything like that. He's just saying those who have surrendered to Jesus Christ. But he, 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 kind, of, he kind of abandons that for a moment. I think to make a really, really key point in this, he says in, in verse um, 11, in him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who, uh, who works all things according to the counsel's will, so that we who were the first, first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him, you. So he, he divorces the we from the overarching we that we've seen originally. So what is he doing here? What is, what is the Apostle Paul saying? Well, he's, he's saying, look, there are those Jews, the first, the first of, of God, those Jews that have surrendered to Jesus Christ, and, and in him we are the first hope. But he's then he's saying, but in you, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit through the, through, the, through the hearing and the believing of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so what he's doing is he's, he's bringing to light the fact that, yes, he is a Jewish man, but his faith is no more solid or no more powerful than the Gentile who believes. So the application for us today is just in case you're wondering, none of you, I, I, I don't know all of you, but most of you probably aren't the we, you're the you in this setting. What he's saying is that you who believe are in him. There is no difference. There is no difference in your background, in your upbringing, in your race, in your sex. You, in Christ, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed. This idea of being sealed with the Holy Spirit is, I think, a gift to us Gentiles, us yous, in the sense that if you've ever felt like, man, I just, I really don't know 
like, do I believe? <laughs> Maybe you sent me last week, like, I hear this idea of being chosen. Am I really chosen? Maybe you look at the, the, the choices you're making and the sinfulness of that, and you're like, ah, am I really, like, is it, am I there? And I think this is a, a beautiful promise. To be sealed with the Spirit is essentially um, recognizing a, a finished transaction. It's like we've been notarized with the Holy Spirit. A formal transaction has been proven. It's, it's, it's showing that we've been, we're, we're owned. God's purchased us. We can have security and protection because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that those who surrender their lives to Jesus, that the Spirit of God, triune God, the Fa- God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three in one, Jesus says it is better for him to leave the earth and for him to send the Holy Spirit than to stay. So the Bible teaches that when I surrender, when you surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. In fact, it teaches that we are essentially a holy temple for the Holy Spirit of God to be living in us. And in Galatians, we see what the fruit of that Spirit is. And so those of you that are like, man, I don't know, like maybe I'm not. If you've ever been um, driving down a two-lane road, which you probably have been doing, in, in, or a four-lane road where there's two going the same direction. I know this happens all the time. And both cars in front of you are going like eight or nine miles underneath the speed limit. It's like the Urban Dictionary calls them parade makers, you know? So it's like they're, they're driving, making a parade, and you're behind them, and all you want to do is ram them, you know? Like, get out of the way. Maybe this is just me. If you've ever had a moment of, like, patience, that's not of you. That's the Spirit of God. If you've, ever, if you've ever exuded any form of gentleness or kindness, that's not you. That's God. That's the Spirit of God in you. And my bet is nine times out of ten, you're behind those parade makers, you do want to ram them, Right? But that one time is, is evidence. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you sealed me. Whew. The Holy Spirit is there somewhere in me. I got it, okay. This is, a, this is a gift. This is a part of our inheritance. He says a guarantee. This is a guarantee. That is such a beautiful word. It is essentially a down payment. The Holy Spirit is, is, a, is a down payment of what we gain in this inheritance. We get every spiritual blessing through the Spirit of God. We have, we have, we have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And our inheritance, although we don't have it to its entirety until the fullness of times when all things are united under Christ, we can live in the peace of knowing that it is a present implication of it today. And what's hard about that is that most of us don't really feel imprisoned. A, f- a friend of mine, she actually goes here. She's working with a, a gentleman that's been in prison for 20 plus years, and she's sharing the story. It's a beautiful story, amazing story. I can tell you right now that he knows what it's like to want freedom. 20 years, he's, he's had his freedom gone. And he's, he's, he's looking at the hope of being freed. I can tell you right now, when he walks out and experiences that daylight, he's going to breathe in that air in a different way than most of us ever do. Because he recognizes that he was enslaved. See, the problem is most of us, the reason why we don't view ourselves as holy and blameless is because we see the sin in our life that perpetuates we continue to wrestle with those things. And because of that sin, the enemy lies to us. We'll see you sin, therefore you must not be, you must not be a follower of Jesus, so you, don't, you might as well just give up. Isolate yourself. Hold back. Don't involve anyone else because they won't understand. And then in light of that, we then go, okay, well, then I'm not there. And I can't be there. So I can't raise my hand and say I'm holy and blameless. I can't say I'm righteous because of what Christ has done because I see in my life. This, the issue is, guys, is, is all the way back at the beginning. We were enslaved to sin before Christ. We were imprisoned before Christ. And most of us just view our conversion as, oh, okay, well, another day in the park. No, I, I was enslaved. You were enslaved. 
the sin that you were doing had power over you and you could not beat it. There was no one rich enough, no one with enough resources to actually redeem us except for Christ. And so now you have been redeemed, those that surrender to Christ, and you now have the power to say, wait, 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 wait. I have the same power in me that raised Christ from the dead, so therefore this sin has no power over me. It's almost like we keep walking back to these fake chains and trying to put them on. Like, I just think they look really good with this outfit. Uh, you know what? Like, I, I get this idea of being free, but I feel like I get good lats carrying these things around or something. I don't even know that's the right muscles. You can tell I work out a lot, huh? We keep running to bondage that isn't even there. In Christ, we, we are free. And so here, here's my challenge for you. This is, I, I promised you this in the book of Ephesians. The applications are, are going to be like, well, believe that. But I'm going I'm I'm to add a little bit to that. My challenge to you is, is that for those of you right now, that if I asked, I said, do you really believe that you are free from any and every sin in your life? And you couldn't say yes, then my challenge is you to confess it. My challenge is you to call it to light. Oh, let me promise you like three things that will happen immediately. There will be those that won't understand whether they're well-meaning or just too afraid of their own sin being confronted in your, com- com- um, in your confession. And that, that will be hard. The other thing that will happen is, is, is that the enemy, when you're getting ready to say it, he'll whisper in your ear saying, well, don't tell the whole story. Just, just tell a little bit. Just tease it out there. See how it is. I had a couple many years ago come in my office, and he came in after praying for healing. He said he, needed to, he knew he couldn't be healed because there was there was infidelity in his marriage. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about this. So he confesses about, well, there was this girl and the situation happened and I, and I made out with her and I haven't told my wife that. And I said, okay, well, let's call your wife. And we call her, his, her, his wife in and we have that conversation in the office and it's horrific, it's hard. And I'm sitting at the end, I'm like, well, praise God that he's saying something because he didn't have to. And praise God that this is the light and that this is, this is where it's at. And we get about halfway through that conversation. He's like, hang on, hang on. There's, there's more. And he's like, I don't know why I lied about it, but there's more. And I can tell you right now, that pain hurt worse than the first confession. So if you're thinking of telling someone, you're like a college dude, and you're like, man, I'm just struggling with porn, and you're thinking about confessing it, so you're like, hey, I, you know, I struggle every now and then with just a little bit of lost at girls. You know, just own it. Because it's been paid for. It's, it's, been, it's been bought. Come, come out with it because I'm telling you right now the darkness loses its power in the light. There is no power of darkness when it's called to light. And just in case you're wondering, there's a third promise I can promise you. Christ has redeemed that in you. You're just not walking in it. He's already paid for it. He's already redeemed it. He's already said, look, I can make this whole and complete and I've already given you the power to walk through this. You just keep putting on shackles that aren't really there because you're afraid what people may think about you. Who cares what people think about you? There's another promise. I can tell you right now, it's not like you're confessing anything to God where he's going, whoa, no way, I had no idea you were doing that. Like, wait, seriously? For this long? No, he's up there going, ah, child, for this long? No, no, I've I've paid for that. I've deemed you holy and righteous by what my son has done for you. No, don't, 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 don't. I got so much better for you. You're, you're, you're more valuable than that. He's not shaming or guilting you. He's saying, I've given you every single thing. In fact, this inheritance, we obtain it. It's not just a future hope, it's a present reality. 
So my challenge is confess. Do it with healthy people. Do it with people that maybe are walking with the Lord. Be a good idea. And watch. Watch what happens. I promise you it's going to be a, a roller coaster of a ride, but watch the healing that comes from That couple that I was telling you about, happily married today. Thriving in marriage. Amazing, amazing work. Because they're free from it. I remember him one time telling me that I was calling people to, to pray for sins or whatever, and he said it was the first time I've ever been in church where I didn't start, my heart didn't start pounding because I knew you were talking about me. He's like, I just can listen and be like, oh, praise God, I'm free from that. Like, what a feeling, right? And here's the greatest thing, that feeling is yours. You've inherited it, not because of your merit, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done for you already. So we can recognize that we are sinful and we, we want immediate gratification because we're losing our mind. It's like you bought a car and you paid for it and you finally paid it off and you paid way more than you should have because you bought this car and you got a bunch of interest but that's a whole other thing, right? So you, you pay for it and you finally pay for it. You're like, oh, last payment. The car's mine. They send you the title. Like, sweet. And then you write a check to the bank. You send it to them for the next month's payment. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I just, I just really want to make sure that it's paid for. It is paid for. Here's your title. Here's your certificate. Here's your inheritance. Here's everything. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, how can I really trust that? So I'm just going to, like, just for the next few months, I'm just going to keep sending you a payment. You do whatever you want with that money, but I just want to make sure it's paid for. It's, that's, that's ludicrous. That's asinine. That's what we do with Christ. We assume that he, he hasn't paid for it in full. So we're like, ah, uh, you haven't really paid for it, so I don't know if I can confess this sin because I'm not sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to get the grace that's supposedly lavished on me. You know, there's only one person that can keep every single promise and has proven that over the time, and that's God. Your spouse, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna fail at that one. Be married for a week. Your friends, they'll fail you. He will not forsake you or leave you. The band's gonna come up, and we're gonna worship. I wanna challenge you guys to, to live in light of the inheritance. If you knew you were gonna have $5 million in five months, you'd make choices differently. Well, now maybe it's time for us to recognize that you have inherited much through Jesus Christ. Let's live in light of that. Let's stop giving ourselves to the things that are less than his kingdom work. Let's stop allowing ourselves to be content with hearing his word and, and it, it forcing us to see truth and us going, oh, I don't like that, and running from it. Let's... let's Let's finally walk in the freedom that he's actually created us to walk in. And not only created us, but then made a way for us to walk in it. And then not only made a way for us to walk in it, but continued to redeem us in that walking. It's ours in Christ. So whether you write it down in, in a prayer request, you, wanna, you want us to pray for it, I, I cannot thank you guys enough for last week. I think I had a moment this last week because there were so many prayer requests. It was so awesome. And there were so many names of people that people were praying for them to come to the Lord. Like, I cannot tell you how much fun that was to pray for. And I can't help but think, as a father, now, I am an imperfect father. My wife and children will definitely be able to test that. But I can't help but picture God as the father experiencing that many of his children just thanking him for his redemption and his work and his grace. I can't help but think that that was like a really cool moment for him. And so maybe it's this week it's, it's time for you to put the prayer request down. I'm struggling with porn. I cannot get free of it. I'm struggling with this relationship. I am not being faithful in my marriage. I mean, like, just lay it out there. But I'm going to challenge you one step further. Lay it out there with your name. Because my heart breaks when someone drops, like, this unbelievably hard, huge hardship and there's no name. 
It's not like I'm really looking for handwriting. Can you write this real quick? Like, no. So I pray for you faithfully in that. But, but I'm telling you right now, like, unless you have someone healthy to walk you through and you just want us to be praying, please put it no name in. That's great. But there's something that you know God's calling you and he's poking on you. And even as I'm saying this, you're kind of, your heart's pounding and you're a little sweaty and you're like, and you're thinking, instead of about confessing, you're thinking about what it will affect or who it's going to affect or what's going to happen. Let me just promise you this right now. If it stays in the darkness, it affects all of those people worse. Everything's worse in the darkness. It's going to be hard. But Jesus was very clear following him isn't easy. In fact, I think something about dying to yourself daily is what has to happen. I, I pray you have the courage to write it down, to run from it, to walk in the freedom that you already have obtained in the inheritance that is Christ through his blood being spilled for us as us being redeemed, holy, and blameless. God, thank you for your word. God, for the individual in the room right now, I just want to call it out. Like whoever is already come to the conclusion in their mind that they are not confessing this sin, that it is too great of a sin. God, I pray that you bring um, one of your family members around them. Uh, maybe it's the person that they're at church with. Maybe it's a, a distant mentor or um, a pastor or someone in their life that, could, that they could feel confident as, to confess. As, as James tells us, that we confess and we will experience healing. God, for the, for the individual in here that is... Um, has a renewed vision in the fact that they, they can and are able to defeat sin, God, would you give them the insight and the wisdom to walk in that? Would you give them the confidence and the, the humility to ask for help in that? And God, I pray for the individual in here that is still walking in bondage, still enslaved to sin and death. Lord, I pray that you would redeem I pray that you would, you would break into their hearts and help them see that, that you are paying, you've paid for them through the spilling of Jesus' blood on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. And until the fullness of time where everything's united in him, God, we walk in faith in your kingdom, knowing that we can walk as children, holy, blameless, rightfully paid for, no debt to, slave, to, to sin or slavery. We willingly surrender ourselves to your will in our lives, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.